This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. So today we're going to be reading the rest of letter number 27 on the good which abides, which is verse 4 through to verse 9. So we're going to be reading a lot of verses today, but basically what's happening here is, you'll remember from the previous episode, Seneca encourages us to move away from vice and towards virtue, which is the true good of the soul that abides within us. And uh, and so now he's going to go on to say, basically, uh, you know, this is something that you cannot leave to other people. You can cannot outsource this task of seeking this good which will abide, this joy that will abide. And uh, and so you're going to have to walk this alone. You're going to have to get in and get dirty. And so uh, I'm going to read these verses and then I might pick apart a few things and we'll see what we can take away from it. So he says, quote, When will it be your lot to attain this joy? Thus far you have indeed not been sluggish, but you must quicken your pace. Much toil remains. To confront it, you must yourself lavish all your waking hours and all your efforts if you wish the result to be accomplished. This matter cannot be delegated to someone else. The other kind of literary activity admits of outside assistance. Within our own time, there was a certain rich man named Clavicius Sabinus. He had the bank account and the brains of a freedman. I never saw a man whose good fortune was a greater offence against propriety. His memory was so faulty that he would sometimes forget the name of Ulysses, or Achilles, or Priam. Names which we know as well as we know those of our attendants. No major domo in his dotage, who cannot give men their right names, but is compelled to invent names for them. No such man, I say, calls off the names of his master's tribesmen so atrociously as Sabinus used to call off the Trojan and Achaean heroes. But nonetheless did he desire to appear learned. So he devised this shortcut for learning. He paid fabulous prices for slaves, one to know Homer by heart, and another to know Hesiod. He also delegated a special slave to each of the nine lyric poets. You need not wonder that he paid high prices for these slaves. If he did not find them ready to hand, he had them made to order. After collecting this retinue, he began to make life miserable for his guests. He would keep these fellows at the foot of his couch, and ask them from time to time for verses which he might repeat, and then frequently break down in the middle of a word. Satellius Quadratus, a feeder and consequently a fauna upon edel-pated millionaires, and also, for this quality goes without the other two, a flouter of them, suggested to Sabinus that he should have philologists to gather up the bits. Sabinus remarked that each slave cost him 100,000 sesterces. Sotelius remarked, You might have bought as many bookcases for a smaller sum. But Sabinus held to the opinion that what any member of his household knew, he himself also knew. 
This same Sotelius began to advise Sabinus to take wrestling lessons. Sticky, pale, and thin as he was, Sabinus answered, How can I? I can scarcely stay alive now. Don't say that, I implore you, replied the other. Consider how many perfectly healthy slaves you have. No man is able to borrow or buy a sound mind. In fact, as it seems to me, even if sound minds were for sale, they would not find buyers. Depraved minds, however, are bought and sold every day. End quote. Okay, so let's take a quick dive into what Seneca is telling us in these few verses. You know, obviously he starts out by saying, you know, when are you going to go after this true joy? This true joy, as I said, uh, is this virtue of the soul, moving away from vice and towards virtue. And he says that you cannot just outsource this. It's not something that other people can do for you. You have to do it yourself. You have to put in the hours. You have to dedicate yourself to this task, this task of philosophy, right? The love of wisdom, the seeking of wisdom. And so Seneca goes on to tell us this story about Sabinus, right? Who is this very wealthy man. He he comes along and he says, I want to uh, have this wisdom and this understanding. I want to know uh, the great poetry. Uh, And so he uh, goes and hires these slaves, sorry, hires, that's the wrong way to put it, buys them, right? Um, Different time. Uh, So he buys these slaves and gets them to learn Homer and all of these lyric poets and and then basically just has them by his side at all times. And I love the fact fact that Seneca makes the point to say that uh, he made life for his guests miserable, right? Because what could be more uh, horrifying than going to a dinner party and just having this person sitting there with all these slaves around him, uh, calling upon them to basically speak into his ear what he should be reciting? Uh, you know, nothing could be worse. And so, uh, you know, he's this guy who's, who's really um, uh, quite repulsive, you might say. Uh, and you don't really want to be around this kind of person because he has this really false belief that, uh, you know, if if anybody in his household knows something, then that belongs to him. That's his knowledge as well. And so Seneca actually uses this story to then demonstrate a point to us, which is that essentially access to information, access to all of these great books and poetry and, and wisdom uh, is not the same as knowing it in your heart, as actually having you know, internal access to it, uh, of actually having knowledge. And the way that he demonstrates this is he continues in the story by telling us about Satellius, who comes over to to visit Sabinus. And, and Satellius basically says, hey, you should go off and you should, uh, you know, you, you should do this wrestling. Uh, that's something that would be good for you. And, and uh, Sabinus says, well, you know, how, how could I possibly do that? I'm struggling to stay alive as it is. And then Satellius, uh, in his, his wise uh, joking, he says, uh, well, hang on, don't be so sure. You've got all of these healthy slaves around you, right? So De- Seneca is demonstrating in this story uh, that really there's a real, there's a false judgment being made that having access to this information access to this poetry and all this sort of stuff is not the same as actually truly knowing it within yourself. And then Seneca kind of goes on to put the cherry on the cake of this argument by giving us this beautiful line where he says, no man is able to borrow or buy a sound mind. In fact, as it seems to me, even if sound minds were for sale, they would not find buyers. Depraved minds, however, are bought and sold every day. And that's the kind of line that you want to meditate on for a while, because 
uh, you know, when it comes to your mind and the peace of mind that we're all seeking here, there's so many options that you could choose from that will help you to pervert your mind and to uh, send you down uh, really dark paths, paths that do not serve you well. There's so many ways to do that. Uh, there's there's not that many ways that you're going to be able to find peace of mind, you know, to find a sound mind. Uh, that's going to be something that you really have to take into your own hands. It's something that you have to tend to personally. You have to become a caretaker of the gardens in your mind, you might say. And that requires effort. It requires time. It requires attention. It requires a careful approach. And so, you know, the one thing you might ask yourself is, if a sound mind were for sale, would I even recognize what it looks like in order that I might buy it? You know, that's, that's something to really think about as well. But another thing that comes to my mind when Seneca is telling us this story about Sabinus uh, is that, you know, Sabinus and his slaves there memorizing all this poetry and everything, uh, uh, it really makes me think that he created an early version of and perhaps a equally morally questionable version of uh, Google, right? It's like have access to all this information at any time, right, that you can constantly pull it up. And uh, there's really, there's, there's kind of a, a a strange thing that happens when we have such fast access to information, such quick access to anything that we might need, any answer that we might need to any question that we have, uh, where we start to believe that uh, that potentially is a part of us, right? I mean, look, it's no doubt that a lot of us feel like a phone is a part of us now that we, you know, you leave the house and you forget your phone and you, oh, we have to go back, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten to that stage, right? Uh, but what Seneca is asking us to seek uh, is something that does not require constant access to an iPhone, right? Does does not require constant access to all this information uh, at any one moment, but it's something that you actually have to uh, bring within yourself so that you understand it internally, so that you don't have to call upon other people or other devices uh, or other companies, you know, in order to feed you the information at any one time. It's something that we do within ourselves. That's philosophy, is seeking wisdom and and making that wisdom become embodied within us so that we experience what having wisdom feels like, so that we experience what we have, what having peace of mind feels like, or what having virtue feels like. That's what we're after. And, uh, and so, especially in a time where today, I think all of us uh, are a little bit like Sabinus in, in terms of, uh, you know, we all always at any time have access to this information. Uh, it's important to note that we're trying to bring that, that information within us. And it's equally, actually, it's more important to know uh, that we first need to decide what information do we need to embody within ourselves, right? What information should we seek? So anyway, I'm going to read the last verse of this letter, and uh, Seneca in this verse gives us another quote from Epicurus about living in agreement with nature. And, uh, and so, th- I'm not going to comment too much on this, uh, just because we've talked about uh, this sort of stuff very, uh, very often in this show, uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to read it for you now. He says, quote, But let me pay off my debt and say farewell. Real wealth is poverty adjusted to the law of nature. Epicurus has this saying in various ways and contexts, but it can never be repeated too often, since it can never be learned too well. For some persons, the remedy should be merely prescribed, 
In the case of others, it should be forced down their throats. Farewell. End quote. Okay, so as I said, you know, this is an idea that Seneca has often brought uh, brought to us in his letters, and uh, now we know why, because this is an idea that Seneca believes uh, we cannot hear too often. It's this idea that uh, true wealth is going to be living in agreement with nature's laws and needing only what nature requires us to have or you know, what nature gives to us and and not needing the other things that we kind of add on top of that to, that only serve to uh, complicate our lives. And so I get the sense here that, you know, obviously we know that uh, Seneca is writing these letters uh, really to himself and solving his own issues and, and really trying to uh, wrestle with these problems for himself. And so you get the sense from this last little verse that Seneca is saying to himself, hey, listen, get this idea into your head. Epicurus obviously has some genius in what he's saying here. He has some wisdom in, which, in, in what he is trying to get across to us. So he's saying, I really need to hear this and I'm going to write this down as often as I can. I think that's very interesting. And so we need to uh, take heed, you might say. And, uh, and if Seneca finds this to be an extremely important idea, then it's well worth our meditation and our, our careful attention. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it has been thought-provoking and, uh, and I hope that you've taken away a few things that you can meditate on throughout your, your day and, and, uh, and use in your life. So I'll talk to you next time.